Hola, hola. Welcome, everybody, to Season 3 of the Chicago Techies Podcast, a podcast focused on highlighting the voices of Chicago techies and their experiences. This season, we'll be hearing from seasoned entrepreneurs to rising stars making their mark. We'll dive into their triumphs, their challenges, and all their unique experiences that have shaped their journeys. I'm Ceci Fisher Benitez. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Josh, thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Chicago Techies podcast. How's it going? Hey, Cecilia. I'm doing really well. Super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, and I always just ask uh, people to introduce themselves by sharing their name, their pronouns, where they're from, and their current role. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Josh Torres. Um, where am I from? <laughs> That's a question in of itself. <laughs> I'm from Massachusetts originally. I lived in the San Francisco slash Oakland Bay area for 12 years, and I am now a Chicago resident um, coming up on my two-year anniversary. And, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just throw out, too, um, my family is from Puerto Rico, so that's also you know an answer I sometimes give when people ask where I'm from. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's you know repping culture. Um, so I usually start these conversations by asking folks, like, what did they want to be when they grow up? You know, when they were little, like, let's go back to little Josh and, uh, and let's ask him, like, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> yeah, that's such a great question. Uh, I was an only child for 10 years, so I was an avid reader and I always wanted to be a writer, but then as I kind of thought more about that and as, as I got a little bit older, I think um, as I started to think about careers, I really wanted to be an attorney. <laughs> and mm. I even went to school um, pre-law in my undergraduate before I switched my majors. Um, and I, I think I, I landed on attorney because I loved reading. I loved words. I loved lang- the English language. But I also really loved to argue. <laughs> and, <laughs> That has stayed consistent. All of those things have stayed consistent. I am still an avid reader. I love to write and I still love to argue. So <laughs> I love that. Did you by any chance think about journalism as well? Or was it just kind of law from the beginning? I think it was law because I think I always wanted to be in a courtroom. I think I, I didn't realize it. And I guess like in hindsight, I now see... I also was always an advocate for justice. So I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. I, I think I always wanted to represent people and, and help them in getting justice. That's that's really cool. So, mm. you know, I guess let's, let's fast forward to co- the college experience. Um, what, what was your experience kind of transitioning to college and, you know, what you mentioned switching your major. So how did you navigate the college experience? Yeah, really, really great question. Uh, College was an interesting one for me. I had a really great role model in my mom. My mom, I have to always give as many shout outs as I can to, um, was a young, single, teenage mom. (laughs) She Mm. had me when she was 17 and dropped out of high school and got her GED and then went on to college, right? So she always set an example of education being this... um, this avenue to bettering myself, right? I saw it through her and the work that she committed to getting her undergraduate degree. And then she went and got her master's and my mom now has her PhD. And yeah, so she, she's more educated than I am. And I think (laughs) I always saw that and I was like, okay, well, college is a definite. I I know I want to go to college. I know that's like the next step for me as I was thinking about 
graduating high school. And I got into a lot of schools and I made the decision ultimately to go to Northeastern University out in Boston. Mm -hmm. And that was a fantastic experience. I think Boston is an incredible city for studying. (laughs) Uh, There's a stat out there. I think one out of six people you meet during the school year is a student because there's, it's the highest concentration of colleges and universities anywhere in the country. And that is just, that was an incredible experience to just be in that mindset and and meet people and have my community expanded in such a way. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I mentioned earlier, I went into college um, pre-law, criminal justice pre-law and was really ready to just like be an attorney and be on that path, go to law school And my first semester, I realized that I didn't love studying law (laughs) and I didn't (laughs) love what I was learning about our justice system, but I kept coming back to writing, which is something else I mentioned that I had a passion around. So my, my freshman year English teacher actually had a conversation with me and just reinvigorated my passion for writing. And, you know, I always say like, people reflect things back to you at the right moments. And I I think she was just like, this is something you're really great at. Have you considered just doing this as your major? And I didn't really know what that meant. And I was having a lot of conversations with her around, you know, I really want to be an attorney. And she was like, you can be an attorney with an English degree. She was like, that actually will set you up for a lot of success in like reading documents and (laughs) being able to (laughs) have a strong understanding of English. So I was like, okay, well, like, yeah, let's, let's switch this up. So after my first semester, I switched my majors and became an English major, which I think was one of the, the best decisions of my life. I think it, it helped me lean into more of a creative education, a liberal arts education, if you will. And I, I think I really thrived in that environment. Um, I will say the other side of my college experience was me leaning into doing the most <laughs> and <laughs> it's... Yeah, hindsight is so funny. I I'm almost forty now, so it's it's always interesting. That checks to... out even now, Josh. <laughs> You're doing so much. <laughs> well, it's always I'm, I like look back and I'm like, oh, I've been doing this for so long. But yeah, mm-hmm. when I was on college, I was like, let me be involved in everything from student government association and having an impact in you know student representation and and being a diverse voice at that table and really working with our administration to make sure that things happened and Mm -hmm. you know students of color weren't forgotten about when like greek life was advocating for all of their needs um and had strong representation so yeah i did like student government association i was on the executive board of the latin american student association Mm -hmm. i you know also worked at the latino student cultural center i also had a bunch of jobs to like pay for things (laughs) because no one was paying for anything when i went to school (laughs) except me Uh, So I was just juggling a lot and in a lot of different communities as a result and just starting to understand what that meant and the power of connecting with folks and getting an education, you know, in the classroom. But I think more so, and I say this a lot to folks, like I think college is great and you can get an amazing education, but, you know, the internet is free and there's a lot of education online. (laughs) But college itself as an experience for me was an education and I feel like I... I met so many incredible people and I, I learned how to be in spaces that I think um, really allowed me and set me up for success later on in life. 
Yeah, I mean, I resonated with a lot of what you said. I, I think we had we have a lot in common. I think I, I was kind of one of those same folks that kind of wanted to be involved with everything. You know, I did. I, I was a resident advisor too. I was part of like the, the Latino student organizations, the LGBTQ student organizations. Definitely can relate to a, a lot of what you talked about. Um, but uh, it, it does sound like you had a really good foundation and the kind of the support that you needed to kind of guide you in the direction that you wanted to go. When did your path kind of started taking you into the tech, tech adjacent community that kind of, you know, shaped your career? Yeah, totally. So that didn't actually even happen until years out of college. <laughs> so the last piece that's missing from this this story is... I also became an activist in college and I was kind of really infatuated and drawn to the importance um, of the environmental movement. So I actually started a student organization co-founded with a coalition of other incredible student leaders across the state of Massachusetts um, called Students for a Just and Stable Future. And we were calling on Massachusetts in you know 2009 to be a leader and to go 100% clean electricity. Uh, so yeah, decades ago, <laughs> we were beating this drum and trying to bring attention to what I still think is one of the most important issues that we yeah. are facing as a global community. Um, and through that work, one of our partners was, uh, Wells Fargo. They did a lot of work with us, gave us a lot of funding. Um, and from being in that space and having the relationship I had working with, uh, representatives from Wells Fargo, actually was offered a job. So that landed me, Wells Fargo is located in San Francisco. They're headquartered out there. Um, one of the vice presidents directly offered me a position to join um, the sustainability team at Wells Fargo. So wow. this 21-year-old me was like, this is amazing. I get to do this work I'm really passionate about. I get to move to California, which was you know where I wanted to be anyway. And just felt like I, I had landed my dream job, right? Mm -hmm. And then I moved to California. I do this work for about a year. And I find that it is, it's, it's just not what was promised. I think um, I was really bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and wanted to have a lot of impact. That's just who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And I was finding a lot of limitations. And I <laughs> wanted to, to just be doing more. And came to the the realization that I just, I wanted to pivot. It wasn't going to be for me. And so I'm in San Francisco a year in, I'm, I'm starting to meet people and I'm having this conversation with friends at the time. And yeah, like I said, we're setting the scene 2009, I think at this point, 2010, probably San Francisco Bay area, you know, web 2.0 is at its height, right? This is, mm -hmm. we just are in a world where Twitter is a brand new app. We are seeing, you know, Snapchat has just hit the scene. It's, it's a very exciting time um, for tech. And I knew nothing about tech. <laughs> so when you're saying like, what is my experience? I was a consumer of these products yeah. and never ever saw a path. I didn't have anyone I knew that worked in the tech industry. I, I started to make those connections when I moved to San Francisco and as I was having those conversations with friends, a friend was someone I, I was friends with was just like, you should apply at this company. I just started working at, it's amazing. And, you know, I think you'd be such a, a value add and, and let me, let me talk to my manager. I think we should bring you in and, and get you an interview. So 
I went in and interviewed at this company. It was a company of about 60 people at the time. And I knew nothing about what they were building. I knew nothing about the company. Um, but I came in to join the support team. And that company was Square <laughs> back in 2011. And it just... So I don't know. Every time people are like, how did you get into tech? I was really lucky. <laughs> I was in the right place at the right time. And I got in early. So I always just recognize the like immense privilege because I know yeah. everyone afterward and still is like very much about breaking into tech. Um, I just happened to be in San Francisco and this opportunity presented itself. Um, and it just really set me up for success. I was, I was able to kind of have that impact that I was craving that I wasn't getting at Wells Fargo and really start to just like implement things and, and see the way that it was improving operations, efficiency, customers, you know, just really having an impact on their small, medium businesses. So really lucky also that I joined a tech company who was providing value in the world in a way that was really tangible, right? So yeah, that's kind of how I, how I landed into tech. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was like the beginning of Square, essentially, you know, when they were, um, you know, they like were disrupting like TechCrunch and everything. So that's wild. So you spent almost a year there, right? And then you moved yeah. on. I was at Square for about a year and it was a rocket ship for sure. I think I was, like I said, employee number 60. And when I left, it was like 500 people. Um, amazing, amazing place. I left for another opportunity and joined an even smaller tech startup that was in the same arena, still focused on um, small, medium businesses, um, but was building restaurant reservation software that was competing with OpenTable at the time. Um, and that was super exciting. We were a team of 12 and I was with them for about a year and a half up to acquisition. And we actually were acquired by Yelp. So yeah. that was also just like an exciting ride for a different reason. <laughs> and <laughs> I learned a lot. I learned about how, you know, like at Square, we were hiring like nobody's business and growing the company. And then at, uh, it was a company called Seat Me before it was now Yelp Reservations. Yeah. Um that was just so different because we weren't really growing. We were doing what we could with the small team that we had. And it was just totally different lessons learned and just really exciting and really like close knit relationships that I still have to this day. And then got to see what it's like to be acquired by a company and what that kind of journey is like. And then I will say, um, I ended up leaving. I didn't end up wanting to go work for Yelp. Um, I exited after the acquisition and then I joined a small company again named Asana as employee <laughs> number so 30. Not so small anymore. <laughs> Not so small anymore. <laughs> I was there for about four years. And also just like, I don't know, all of these places I often will say are like some of the best places I ever worked. I got really lucky in my tech journey. I think there was a, a lot of supportive leadership, really amazing people that I worked with. I learned so much. And really had a safety net to just be supported in my growth and, you know, got to advance my career a lot at all of these places, but especially at Asana where, you know, when I exited that company, I was a marketing manager, leading a team, really having an impact across all lines of business from where I started in customer operations to transitioning to marketing, and then also starting to have an impact on, on DEI, which started to become more of my focus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, like, I mean, it likely is similar to what happened in, in my story when I transitioned to tech. It's, I started noticing all of the 
you know, issues around us, right? That there's not a lot of people that look like us in these spaces. And uh, and I was curious if, if that was kind of like your in, your introduction as well to like diversity, equity, and inclusion um, as you join all these companies and kind of work with potentially, you know, creating their first ERGs and whatnot. So what was that that experience for you that kind of led you to get a little bit more involved in that space? Yeah, um, I think it, it connects to what I mentioned earlier, right? Like I've I've always been about community. Like for me, the people I work with also drive why I work at a place. And culture to me just like really mattered. And it was really exciting to see so many startups care about culture, care about people. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that though is it was a very, everyone looked the same, right? So they cared about all these people <laughs> But I was like, wow, I am the only queer Latino person in the room. And, you know, it was San Francisco. There was a lot of queerness. So I I never felt like that dimension was not represented. Um, But, yeah, there weren't a lot of brown and black faces in a lot of the places I was in, especially when the companies were smaller. So I would often ask those questions and just start to be curious about, you know, Hey, like what's, what's our hiring look like? And, you know, I will also say I had an incredible hiring manager at square who she did the work of creating diversity without making it a big thing. And I think that's just who she was. So our support team, she was like, we need to represent the people that we're supporting. And I need people from like diverse facets of life and you know, she gave me a chance because she was like, wow, you've done so much in, you know, your small, your short career. <laughs> She's like, but I can probably throw things at you and you'll figure it out. And you, you know, you're very adaptable is is what she saw in me. Yeah. So she took a chance on me, which, you know, now fast forward, that's like the, that's the playbook for how we think about like skills-based hiring and transferable skills. She just was, you know, ahead of the game and, and just how she was building her team. So that was, that had a a really big impact on me, seeing the way that she built her team and was thinking about, you know, what's missing here, who could add something and, you know, close some of the gaps we have. So when I started to be in positions where I could hire, um, that's kind of what I started thinking about. And I started to think about who are we missing on this team? What kind of perspective could really help us to be more innovative? Um, who's going to just change things up, right? <clears throat> I will say that, like, the conversation started to shift just in the in the environment of tech um, and started focusing more on DEI. So while I was at Asana, I did start two ERGs, both the People of Color ERG and the Pride ERG. Um, and it was a lot of work, is what I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, now I know that you spent you know quite a few years at Asana before you transitioned to your next role at the Kapoor Center, where you also kind of spent some quite some time. Um, what and, and I, I think I can see the dots aligning of like uh, you know your kind of passion for community and wanting to advance more people in these tech roles. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, that role that you held at the Kapoor Center as well? Yeah. So I, when I left Asana, I knew I wanted to work more directly um, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I saw the need for us to just create more opportunities for our people, right? Like that's, that's the thing that I would always bring to conversations is 
I don't even think I'm the smartest person in the room and I have a job in tech. <laughs> and I was like, I would be so humble about that. But I'm like eager to learn. I have capacity to just like learn and want to do things and, and want to have an impact. Um, so I was like, we are just missing out and there's such opportunity. And I was like, I can go back to my communities and I can bring you smarter people. So I, I really wanted to focus on that. Um, also because one of my favorite parts about being a manager was the people management of it all. Mm-hmm. So I just was like, there's an opportunity for us to develop folks and just like more people could experience what I've experienced, which is all of the, the life changing opportunities that tech afforded me. Um, in, you know, financial opportunities and just, you know, community building and networking. So I did transition and I got a role working at the Cape Poor Center that was specifically focused on increasing um, diversity in tech. And my original role there was the Latinx and tech program manager. And under that role, I had um, just the directive of establishing a national program that would help us to support, bring together, convene, and really just empower Latinx in tech. And that was really exciting. I, I enjoyed doing that for a long time. Eventually, I got promoted to be uh, director of tech talent advancement, which just meant that I was thinking more broadly. Um, it wasn't just focused on uh, Latinx anymore. I was thinking more broadly about advancement, right? Yeah. Because when we think about increasing diversity in tech, I think a lot of folks are really focused on recruiting and helping people break in, which I was like, great, we need people focused on that. We just can't have everyone focused on that (laughs) because what I would see, what my own experience was, is once you're in, how are you advancing and who's supporting you on that path? Because getting in is step one. And then it's just like, whoa, I'm in this environment that is so foreign to me. And I don't have any mentors or people that look like me that I can kind of like ask for help. Um, So I kept talking to a lot of folks, you know, the numbers are low. I think it's like 3% represented, but I I find the community and I talk to folks and it was the same story over and over again. So I was like, we are, we're, we're missing the opportunity (laughs) to help folks that are already in tech. So that's what I brought to the Cape Core Center and really kind kind of created programs around in terms of just helping to convene folks who were already in tech from our communities. So I got to do a lot of incredible work um, building out conferences and events and also a leadership development program called LTX Level Up, where we actually brought together, um, I want to say it was like 10 leaders across different companies, all working in tech um, at like junior to mid-level and, you know, gave them a, an executive coach for six months, gave them, um, we went to, we did two overnight retreats, we had convenings, and helped them to create community with each other, but also really focus on their leadership development. Because I believed that with intention and with attention on them, that they would advance more quickly. And we saw incredible results from that program. And it really helped me understand, you know, just the value of investing in folks that also kind of already were were in tech, but could still needed, you know, some some assistance. I mean, you kind of answered like two questions there. <laughs> because I, I, you know, I, I was curious about like that, um, that work that you kind of center around the, the power of connection and, and how, you know, how we build, like, you know, me working at Latinas in tech, I think we do some, you know, I'm doing some similar work and 
but I wanted to get your take on like, how do you like believe building strong and effective communities contributes to the overall success of people and the organizations they're part of. And and you kind of touched on that, but if you want to add a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I always say like the relationships you build go so much further than anything on your resume. Mm-hmm. I have people that I worked with at Square and now, like over 12 years ago, who I can still call and will support me. I have people who I don't even think that I had good relationships with who have recommended me for work. Right? <laughs> and not that it was a bad relationship. I just, you know, we didn't work closely, but they have such a positive association of, you know, the work that I did or how I showed up. So I, I truly have seen the value of, you know, just connecting with people. And I think that is also what people of color bring to a space is it's the culture right like we want to constantly be in community and and we bring that community aspect and i think that is our superpower and what we need to do is not just network across but network you know upward as well and i think the more we can like create that robust network it truly you know can can help us um, advance across the board and really, you know, we can lean on those connections and and activate so many different opportunities for ourselves and for other people, which is my favorite thing to do. I love connecting other folks and saying, you two are going (laughs) to make some magic happen. (laughs) Go have a conversation. (laughs) Like there's so much value in that. And I get joy from that. Yeah. All right. Well, before I I switch gears a little bit to the entrepreneurial experience, I kind of want to touch a little bit more on DEI and and, and culture and community. So, you know, you you focus a lot of your work around this. Can you share a couple of key challenges that you kind of, you know, have seen in your career when it comes to this DEI work? And, you know, after, after George Floyd, you know, there were so many pledges um, that are now basically expiring. And, you know, we're seeing all these layoffs that are happening and with DEI being the first roles that are like being axed out of these companies. Do you have any comments <laughs> around this, <laughs> this work? <laughs> yeah, we could do a whole nother podcast on the comments I have around this, <laughs> but I, I'll try to be succinct. Um, I think I think I, I see this in a couple different ways, especially because I was so invested in this work before George Floyd. And I look at, I always look at things in like a historical context, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the tech industry was activated to work on DEI initiatives in a more directed way. Um, after the Reverend Jesse Jackson came to Silicon Valley, had meetings with like Google execs and other folks and pretty much pushed on them to release their diversity numbers Um, because we knew that there was a problem here. And once that happened, that's when you first started to see these roles appear at companies. So I will say prior to (laughs) 2015-ish, there wasn't a conversation. These roles didn't even exist, right? People Mm -hmm. were in HR, but they weren't really doing DEI explicitly. You didn't have like a chief diversity officer. Um, And then you started to see it. So you started to see pre-2020, there was like some movement and everyone kind of had a chief DEI officer, DEI teams were being more invested in. There was a a conversation around the need for diversity. And even as that started, there was a lot of pushback, right? And I think it's always been a little bit of an uphill battle to prioritize the need for diversity and the need to, you know, focus on diversity as a business imperative. Uh, especially at a startup when everything else like 
that is driving profit <laughs> and product is in competition in the minds of some executives, right? And I think we were doing a lot of work to shift that narrative because as so many research reports have come out and shown, having diverse teams, especially diverse leadership, actually leads to stronger business goals and outcomes, right? The, the true value of diversity is having diversity of lived experience, diversity of thought in a room so that you can have better innovation, right? The productive tension you have from being able to cross-pollinate and have people challenge thoughts and ideas is what gets you to the best possible innovations. And I think people were resistant to that because of affinity bias, right? We're all like, well, I'm so used to working with people that are just like me. So only Stanford Mm -hmm. grads and only people that (laughs) grew up in the Bay Area because they all know tech already. And it's like the exact opposite is true. So we were doing the work of pushing towards that. And then 2020 hit and it was like a powder keg (laughs) of (laughs) activism and championing for what was right because i think for the first time people then were aligned with the moral argument right so i I was just talking about the business case and i think there's also this moral imperative right like we just should also be more diverse to reflect the world we live in at all of our companies tech and outside of tech um and that's just not the case i would say it's even more important in tech because again we are creating tech is the, the cutting edge of innovation and is creating projects at scale that are having an impact globally. So it's super important. And so George Floyd was murdered and all of a sudden all of these pledges come out and yeah, like it's like, let's all rally around this. Let's all put money and resources. And it was almost like, this is an opening. Like all of the work that we've been doing for the past five years now has this inflection point where we're like getting funding and there's a tension and, People are ready, right? And I think the work moved and started to be mobilized in a really beautiful way. Um, and now we're here yeah. <laughs> in 2024. And so much of that is being reversed. And I would say DEI is actually under attack in a lot of ways um, with affirmative action being uh, uh, repealed and just these attacks generally on DEI programs and language and inclusivity. Um, So I think it's more important now than ever, but I will say it's always been a fight. You know, that's the takeaway that I tell folks, like this is not new to the folks that have been in it in a minute for a minute. And I will say this is, for me, it's always been movement work. Like I, I started by saying I'm an activist. I think this is, this is activism as well. Right. We're talking about getting folks high wage jobs, you know, having, giving them access to jobs that other people have that are high wage, that are innovative. Um, and I believe it's what's right in terms of equity. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just think, um, how do I want to say this? It's fucked up. <laughs> it's fucked up, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these companies just jumped on the bandwagon at the moment because it was you know, they were seeing, because like you said, maybe for some, it was a more imperative, but for others it was probably just fashionable. And, you know, and it, it just seemed like very in vogue to do so. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I yeah, always... it's definitely really, really messed up. Um, yeah. And that I'll was just not say a like... good structure, I guess. 
Yeah, what you said just reminded me too, like the way I frame this usually is companies get internal pressure from their own employees. Like even when a company is not diverse, people are starting to beat the drum and like ask those questions. Um, so they're hearing it internally from their employees. Then they're hearing it externally from their customers. <laughs> and I think like at that moment when George Floyd happened, everyone was making statements and there was almost this social pressure, which I think is also an important tool to leverage because we can push with that social pressure, right? It's like, no, this is the the trend. And even if it's trendy, I'm like, okay, I don't care if that's the reason you're jumping on, but like do some of the work. <laughs> so however people get there, I'm like happy if they're doing the work towards what's right. Um, so yeah, no, no, totally fucked up. And, and hopefully we <laughs> yeah. can move past this moment. But yeah, what I was going to say and connecting it to activism is like, DEI work, diversity, equity, inclusion work has always been tied to undoing a lot of the like racism in our society, right? So when we're, we're training managers on how to like hire and like, get, like think about managing their bias, it's like this is stuff that is pervasive in society. So we are working on this issue in, in tech companies, but it's also like prevalent everywhere else, right? So <laughs> it's, it's difficult because if it was easy... I often say this to companies that I that I consult with. If it was easy, if people had a solution or a playbook, everyone would be making copies of that and distributing it widely. Yeah. <laughs> and we do not have that. So we're going to constantly be just like working on this and, and, you know, finding ways that work for different organizations. Yeah. Uh, I keep seeing headlines about how... I think uh, late last year, the Oklahoma governor signed like a ban in DI programs at public universities. And I'm just kind of like, WTF, where are we headed? I mean, why? I, I feel like, you know, as you talked about having the moral imperative to do the right thing, I feel like people should have known that, or at least companies should know that it doesn't expire. You know, the moral, moral imperative doesn't expire. You need to continue this work um anyway but let's just let's just shift gears because i'm getting mad (laughs) (laughs) um so and and i want to talk about your work with also like in the in uh with founders in the entrepreneurial landscape um you are supporting organizations who work with entrepreneurs you know they know that about you and 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 you also have your own company so i want to hear about your um some of the initiatives that you're working on or projects that you're working on and 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 that you're particularly proud of um especially in those that are you know aimed at increasing representation in tech but also in in the founder um world yeah absolutely um as I started this conversation by saying I did too much in college and you reminded me I'm still doing too much, I do a lot. <laughs> and part of that is because I, I love finding the through line of all of the things that I get really passionate about. And I think I started to realize when I was at the Cape Horse Center, just like what I loved and what I love doing is connecting with folks and helping them advance in their career, whatever that may be. If they're an employee, like helping them and coaching them on that path. And I will say like, so I'm an executive coach. I primarily work with um, underrepresented folks and help them to advance more quickly into senior leadership. That's the thesis of my business and my coaching. And I am lucky and privileged to be a coach because I got coaching, right? It was a benefit when I worked at Asana. I continued to get coaching when I was at the Cape Horse Center. 
And there's such a value in having that type of support system that, again, I don't think I ever even knew was a thing. And I think in a lot of industries and a lot of tech companies even is not still not a thing for a lot of folks outside of executives. And I will say, this is like the worst kept secret, but I still feel like no one knows it. Executives are not like in a room making decisions by themselves. (laughs) Executives have a team of support people from their coaches to gurus to therapists to whoever it is, but it's a team of people that are helping them think through these things and make these big decisions, right? They're not making them in a vacuum. They're, they're also talking to their board. They're talking to their other execs. And I think once I realized that, I was like, oh, I need to set up my own support system. And I also want to be the support system for other folks. So that's where my, my coaching practice was kind of born out of. And it also, again, was a coach reflecting in me, a Latina coach, Dr. Cristina Villarreal. Shout out to her for planting the seed in me because we, we co-developed the Latinx Level Up um, curriculum together. And I think she saw in me my coaching ability before I even was ready to, to step into that. And yeah, so I, I, I really see the value of that. And I do a lot of work with, with folks, um, again, who are either employees and also entrepreneurs because I've been around the block. <laughs> I've seen companies you know, be in a startup mode and, you know, go all the way through acquisition and also through IPO. Um, so both Square and Asana IPO'd and I was a shareholder for that time. So I've just been around while those things have happened and have a lot of experience navigating startups and understanding what it takes to build successful startups across the board, especially because I was an employee at such a, a, an early stage at a lot of these companies. You know, I have... I had exposure to all lines of business. Um, So I do work with founders on a one-to-one basis. Um, I've also developed a lot of founder support convenings and activations and workshops. So one of the other jobs I have is I do a lot of collaboration with Black and Brown Founders, which is a nonprofit that supports Black and Brown Founders. Um, It's an incredible organization. It's been around for about seven years, I want to say now. And... Yeah, we do incredible work. There's a bootstrapping boot camp that they do um, that really helps founders understand alternative modes of funding outside of VC. Because as incredible as VC funding is, it is statistically really difficult for black and brown founders (laughs) to get those VC funds. So instead of simply always talking about that problem and trying to shift that um, industry, um, because again, we black and brown founders saw that other folks were focused on that. We focus on helping people also see alternative modes of funding, whether that's bootstrapping, whether that's small small business loans, whether that's um, grants. You know, what are other ways we can really get funding to founders who have innovative ideas and need to just you know have the funding to you know get to market or to just like produce a prototype? So ideally, they can get in front of the VCs maybe and get the traction that they need in order to to grow their business. Um, so yeah, a lot of entrepreneurship work and support. Um, obviously, there was also some of that at the Cape Core Center. So that mm-hmm. primed me into understanding, you know, the needs, especially the unique needs for founders of color, which I think we traverse a lot more hurdles <laughs> than our counterparts. Um, so I still do a lot of work to support founders when and where I can. Um, in addition, the other line of business I have with, um, Bavolve services, which is my consulting firm is working with companies. So 
early stage startups, um, some medium tech companies, and just helping them develop a diversity, equity, inclusion strategy, and really thinking through from every level, you know, how they can really infuse um, equity, uh, and then also diversify their staff, um, and just think about building a solution that is going to be connected to their business goals and really have a sustainable foundation so that they don't even need to think about cutting it. It's actually feeding in to everything else and is looked at as a component of the holistic business. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like you're really the, as I get to know you more now, you know, in this in this call, um, I definitely see the wide variety of, of experience that you can offer. Um, and I, I feel like this is great. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, that you are able to do this kind of work and that you work with, you know, two of the most like underserved demographics when it comes to this kind of work. Um, I mean, you know, between black and brown founders, I think they only get 2% of the funding of venture capital, like 1% each, you know, Latino mm-hmm. women get 0.02%. <laughs> yeah. it, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love that you're, you know, that you are in this, in this space. I'm starting to kind of also dabble myself in, um, in this entrepreneurial um, kind of work, you know, experience that we get to do. Uh, we just opened our entrepreneurship program uh, applications since we have like a five-week program with Latinos in Tech and I get to lead that and I get to design that um, and get to find speakers for it. So definitely something that that has that I'm super interested in as well. So I can't wait to talk more to you about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always, um, always willing to talk. I will also say, because this is the Chicago Techies podcast, um, not super techie, but I am obsessed with third spaces so my latest business venture is actually um looking at a small retail business um originally it was going to be a coffee shop it still may have a coffee component but i'm actually looking at purchasing a laundromat and it's really interesting so i'll like say it on this podcast first the 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 line of business to me is almost inconsequential because i only want the business to be the foundational layer i'm really excited about community space and having a venue where people can come together and be able to convene. But I'm very aware of the fact that like you need a business layer at the bottom of that <laughs> to keep yeah. the lights on and the doors open. So that is something I'm, I'm thinking a lot about in terms of what space means and how we can interact in spaces and, you know, activate whatever we want, whether that's a tech entrepreneurship workshop, whether that's, you know, just a cafecito where people can connect and meet. Um, but yeah, that's another kind of entrepreneurship journey that my partner and I are on this year because we also are really excited to connect more with the the Chicago, Chicago community. community. Yeah. yeah, no, I love that. Definitely keep me posted on what you decide and we can, you know, however however the Latinos in Tech chapter can support, I'm sure our friends at Tequeria can also help. I mean, I mean, you you are also very well connected with Tequeria. <laughs> yeah, and, I was I was on the advisory board for Tequeria mm-hmm. for a year. They're near and dear to my heart. Um same with Latinas in Tech. I've partnered with Latinas in Tech for years, <laughs> co-created some amazing events. So again, I, I think one thing that I always try to say as one of my mantras that's really meaningful to me is I'm all about collaboration over competition, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, let's all come together. We're all doing similar work, adjacent work. There's ways for us to just come together and truly be in community and support one another. So yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> 
I love that you share some aspirations, but do you have any other kind of, you know, that you haven't mentioned any other goals, any future plans that we can wrap up the conversation with? Yeah, I am always thinking about how to create stronger coaching programs. And I actually am thinking about um, building something out more for entrepreneurs in the coming years, especially as I go on this journey in a more direct way, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like my consulting firm has been running for about three years and that's been great. It's, it's all been virtual. It's been a one, one person shop. Um, but I'm really interested in what it looks like again to, to build out a retail space and potentially have a staff. And as I learn things, how can I build out programming to kind of put that information out into the world? Right? Like, again, I don't want to gatekeep anything. I'm always like, how do I, connect um so i think there's something that's also bubbling there where i build in public or you know invite people in to just convene and, and have conversations where i think we can learn from each other so nothing nothing direct right now but i will say like just give a shout out to my business bevolve services um you know i'm always also looking for for clients um i have about two slots open at the moment uh, so yeah, if people are looking for coaching, I'm here to support on whatever journey you might be on, whether you're an employee or whether you're a founder. Uh, and then also if your business has needs in terms of the strategy, that's also, you know, an offering that I have. There you go. And I'll make sure to mention this also in the show notes, but before I let you go, I forgot to ask Juan and, and this is kind of like, you know, you're sharing a lot of nuggets, a lot of really good advice for founders, but, uh, and, and people that work into companies, but what's one key piece of advice that you find crucial for anyone in tech or entrepreneurs, you know, that can help develop their careers? Yeah, there's a lot that I want to say about this. Um, I constantly tell people to stay curious and stay ambitious, right? I think curiosity plus ambitious ambition over like, timing is what creates opportunity in, in my mind. And I don't know, I think that's what I've always been driven by is just like asking questions. And, you know, there's like some cliche stuff out there. Like, if you don't know how to do something, say yes, and then figure it out. But like, that has truly been how I've navigated my career. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't even get into like, I've done work in the philanthropy sector and had the opportunity to help launch one of the co-founders of Asana started a, a philanthropic fund. And after I left, he tapped me to help him kind of start that and I had no real experience doing that work but I said <laughs> yes and I think it's like opportunities like that that come up that might not feel fully aligned can sometimes really open up beautiful spaces where you learn a lot and you also you know can pivot in really interesting ways which again I think is what tech is about like I think leaning into those pivots and being open to whatever innovation is coming coming your way for your own career, right? Like, so it's almost like look at your career like a product right? <laughs> and have a product roadmap, but be open to the pivots that are going to come along the way as, you know, the market is shifting you. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I always tell all of my clients is, you know, you have infinite choices. And I think we get very myopic and we often think that I can either like have this job or like not have a job or, you know, it's, it's either or thinking, but the work that I really focus my clients on and that I want to focus everyone on is 
you know, we have power in the opportunity to make choices about what we want to be doing with our lives. And I think we should try to get in alignment as much as we can around exactly what we want to be doing and what is the path to get there, right? It's not going to just because you, you want it, it's not just going to happen. But at least if you can get clear on that and then again, be open mm-hmm. to the pivots, I think you can just like find a lot of happiness and, and just understand that, you know, choice to me is ultimate liberation. So if you can create more choice in your life, <laughs> that can sometimes be difficult too because people are like, I have too many choices. That's such a privilege though. It's like awesome. Like you get to choose. Like what, a, what an opportunity. Yeah. Oh my God. I honestly didn't really realize how much I needed to hear this, Josh. (laughs) Thank you. This this was fascinating. Uh, This was such a great conversation and thank you for everything that you've done and that you continue to do and for sharing all this insight. I had so much fun. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. All right. Well, um, we will catch you very soon because we have a couple i actually have a couple of of events coming up um in chicago that i that i'm kind of organizing with some folks um called the the um latinx tech week uh that we're moving to june but we're kind of in the strategy phases right now so you're definitely going to hear from me soon about some of this stuff because we definitely need as much help as we can get. And if you have some expertise to kind of work with us, that would be amazing. Yeah, please let me know. I'm, I'm really excited to attend and also, yeah, help in whatever capacity I can to program and, you know, get speakers if you need speakers and also yeah. be a speaker if you need me to be a speaker. Yeah, yeah that probably to. too. So thank you so much. <laughs> we'll, we'll be in touch with you very soon. Okay, sounds right. good. Have a good weekend and yeah, I'll talk to you, you soon. Too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Chicago Techies Podcast. If you enjoy listening, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes. Let's continue the conversation on social media. We are at Chicago Techies on all social media platforms. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.